die transformatietafel word met trots geborg dier Maxflex Cables. You are listening to the Transformation Table, where we talk about God's business. Good morning, everybody. Welcome around the Transformation Table. We're all nice and and uh, can see dressed uh, warm. It is cold this morning, and uh, we welcome everybody on the on the on the Zoom meeting this morning. Uh, we welcome the people that is going to listen to the podcast later, and also, of course the people that's going to be listening on uh, at radio at a later stage. It is uh, a blessing to be together. Um, I wonder, um, Leon, can I ask you to open with prayer for us, if you don't mind, please? Well, I'll do so, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Father God, we just thank you that we part of being called your family, that we are your sons and daughters, and we've got the privilege of of walking with you, the privilege of being looked after, being loved, being cared for, being positioned, um, more so in a time like this than ever before. Thank you for this friendship that's being built around the Zoom table and just what you're doing, Lord. And we, we just honor you for your incredible way in which you orchestrate, in which you connect, in which you position the right timing and so on. So we give this discussion to you. And may Holy Spirit, you lead and guide the discussion, and may you open eyes, open hearts, and soften hearts, and do what you want to do. We submit that uh, totally to your leadership, and say, may you be glorified, and may you glorify the Son and the Father through this discussion. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Leon. <clears throat> so this morning, um, I was at the table a little bit early, <clears throat> and I thought, let me uh, just spend a bit of time uh, praying for for our discussion this morning and um, <clears throat> inviting inviting God to come and sit with us. And I've, I realize how ridiculous that sounds to myself, inviting God to come and visit us. Um, it's his table. We are his children. And, um, but of course he's a, he's a, he's a gentleman. And, um, and I felt comfortable with making the invitation. And then um, this morning discussion is, is um, what I would like to, do is uh, just continue uh, down what what Dr. Stefan brought us uh, last week, um, because it was one of those discussions that he opened, he, he gave more questions than answers. And, and I think that's very good for us to, to check and, and question ourselves and question uh, what we do and how we operate. And then, of course, um, Leon, thank you very, very much for your message. Leon sent me a short uh, voice message and um, and um, I would like to to um, us to just discuss a few of those points, uh, Leon. Um, so thank you for that, and I and I want to encourage you if these if these if these things that you guys want to specifically discuss around the table, send me a, a voice message. It's it's easy, and um, and let's get uh, let's get into it because I think it's it's very important that we have these discussions. That brings me to, and I just realized, I don't know what the English word is. Uh, Peter, you might have to help me a little bit. Menswaardigheid. What would be the English word for menswaardigheid? Self-worth. <laughs> Self-worth. Significance. 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 Morning, Anthony. Welcome. Significance. No, probably self-worth. Probably self-worth. self-worth. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Self-esteem. So, so self-esteem. Okay, so so um, 
Leon, I think I think let's start there. Menzo, thanks very much for that. I'm not sure exactly what I said, but I think the, the one point I just submitted to you privately was that in whatever we do in our communities, uh, because there's a lot of incredible good stuff we do, but that we keep in mind the, the most basic need of each person, even if we don't know that, is the, the, the need to have self-worth, the need to have dignity. And in many times in our efforts to do good, we we don't address that and we sometimes even violate that we communicate yeah you're the poor one you'll always be reliant on me or the good doer or whatever to to come alongside and to provide and to whatever so so what i what i just submitted was the fact that we need to keep in mind the the dignity or the self-worth of the person cries out to be established and all uh, the enemy would make sure that that thing is always violated through life and through circumstances and stuff like that. And how can we be aware of that? And how can we be an instrument in God's hands to communicate that to a person? Uh, not from our side. It's something that needs to be settled in his heart. And if I, if you wouldn't mind, if I can just take a few minutes to go back to my own story, because you'll understand where I got to do that and so on, that it's not just a principle I'm conveying. Um, as I said, I think the biggest internal need is to... In, uh, is to know, am I worthy? Am I worth something? Do I matter? Whether it's in my marriage, whether it's in my workplace, whether it's as a dad or whatever, do I matter? Do I have what it takes? Uh, that's a massive question in each one's heart, even though we don't know that. And life would normally communicate the opposite to you. Uh, so that's a basic need. I think the two biggest questions we have in life is, why am I here and who am I? The, uh, regarding identity, where am I? Why am I here? If I can just go back quickly to my own story, and then I'll put the question on the table again. Is um, I grew up, Dad uh, left Mom at the age of when I was five years old. So um, you know, I got married to another lady, and we were left behind. And a big thing in the newspapers of the professor that married another lady, and so on. Uh, the, and the, those days, it was it was a sin. It was a big thing. I was the only guy in the whole cl- in the whole school, you know, with divorced parents and so on, which today is common and so on. But bottom line is, we we grew up with a loving mother and so on, but a father not in place. <clears throat> and even though in a good school, uh, when I had to play rugby, I had to go and borrow a jersey or I had to go and borrow talks so or that type of thing. So always the shame of not having and so on, and that thing was a painful thing, always standing in the back of the line. So always feeling not good enough over and above the abandonment from the father and all the other stuff that came with us. And when we went to visit dad for holidays, then the, the new wife would, uh, yeah, cause pain in our hearts and stuff and look down on us and, and yeah, a lot of stuff that would just confirm you're not worth it, you don't belong in that type of thing. Anyway, um, got married, studied engineering, um, and did a six-year course in my fifth year. My oldest daughter, firstborn, uh, got sick, got cancer. Eventually, quit my studies, and she passed away with cancer at the age of two. Um, and yeah, I jumped out and started working hard because my opportunities to get somewhere to not knowing that what was driving me this need for self-worth to know am I right or not. Um, anyway, but I was working. Um, immense hours running export factories, 300 people at the age of 28, and 
Um, but uh, working 14, 18 hours a day, sometimes right through the night, uh, seven days a week, one Sunday month I was off. So obviously doing very well and the, the best in the companies, all the companies of a massive organization and so on. And um, trying to provide for my family, trying to make sure because my opportunities through studies was, was gone. And um, I tried to make sure in, in the workplace that I climb up the ladder and earn enough to look after my family to make sure they don't go through the shame and the, and the whatever that I went through as, as a boy, not having the basic stuff in place and so on. And I know other kids go through much worse than I did, but that was my story. And anyway, so I was I was a father that left my children and so on, but I was never there for them. So I was an absent father. And um, anyway, we had uh, our firstborn passed away. We had our second daughter, our thirdborn also passed away and so on. So we went through quite a bit of turmoil and then the, the wheels fell off our marriage. Um, and it was just devastation, both coming from broken backgrounds and so on. And all this stuff started manifesting. And we knew the Lord. Uh, we were elders in the church at the age of 28 and so on. So we walked with God, we loved God and so on. But we had no idea how to deal with the, the deeper stuff, not just the symptoms and the manifestation of anger and this and that and all the other things. All the other things, the deeper roots that was inside, what was causing that outside symptoms and so on. And all our friends and all the pastors that we knew didn't know how to fix the problem on the inside. They could only tell you, but don't you know the scripture says this and this and this. And we knew that. But we didn't know how to deal with the deeper stuff and so on. And that that almost drove us away and it almost uh, killed our marriage and so on. And um, about 10 times I wanted to get a divorce, but God was so... Because the pain was just so big. It wasn't that we didn't love one another. <clears throat> Excuse me. We just didn't know how to deal with this pain that was causing damage to one another and to the children and so on. And, but fortunately, after the first one's death, uh, 39 years ago, God said to us, we spoke to Mariki, my wife, and myself, same time, separately, and then when we shared it, it was exactly the same. He said, one day you'll have a piece of land, a, a farm where families would be restored and marriages would be restored. And and when we shared it, it was the same thing. And, and every time, so that was God's vision for our life, is to one day restore families. And every time we wanted to divorce, because of the pain and devastation we were causing, and, uh, and our family was busy growing and so on, we had uh, two kids uh, at that stage then, uh, apart from the two that passed away and so on. Um, uh, every time we wanted to divorce, God said, but I've got, a plan for your life and he reminded us of the vision we said god how could we ever help other people we can't even help ourselves but god said but that's what i've got planned for you and we hang on to that that's where i understood the principle of in hindsight of these two things that god says you perish for it's not for lack of money we all think that's the biggest problem now when the scripture says that you perish for lack of money it says you perish for lack of wisdom uh, vision and lack of knowledge and we had no knowledge how to fix this mess that we're in. And we almost perished. We almost perished in not physical death, but spiritual death. Death in living out your purpose and your calling. Um, because we had no idea how to fix this mess that we're in, how to fix the damage of the, the past and so on. But the thing that kept us going was the vision. So we had, we had vision, God had said, but we, we're going to one day help others. And today we're sitting on that farm outside the Karkov, outside of Howick and so on, uh, and helping others and so on. But 
that kept us going because that meant that God, if you says we, we're going to help others, then there's got to be a way out of this mess. There's got to be light in the tunnel. That kept us going. That kept us not running away and so on. Anyway, so we, we worked through life like that. And I'll try and finish the story shortly, but um, came down to Natal. We bought a piece of land in the beautiful indigenous forest area. God said that's where we need to establish the ministry and so on. And we didn't know what ministry at that stage. We were just walking in faith and obedience and so on. Still running export factories and so on. But working my butt off, never there for my children and so on. And came down to Natal in the, in the first week um, to, to be closer to the farm, still running factories, but that if we've got a gap to go out and to start buildings because there was nothing on it and so on. Uh, so we had to establish that and so on. But um, in our first week, my middle daughter, my second daughter, we ended up with three girls then, uh, all happily married now for 12 years. But um, uh, my second daughter got involved in a school fight. And afterwards, uh, that evening, we sat at the table and, and the oldest one said, Salumi was in the principal's office today, but she... Anyway, so um, I found out what was the story, and it was a game at, at break, and the, and the boys started playing and whatever. Anyway, so she would, uh, to them it was a, to her it was a game, but she would beat up the one, then the next one would come, and she went through four of them. She was the smallest in the whole school, but extremely strong, physically very strong. Um, and anyway, so the oldest realized that this is a game that's getting out of hand. For the boys, it was really serious. And for Salome, it was just a game, you know. So she tried to stop the game, but the whole school had formed a circle around this little girl beating up all the boys and so on. Anyway, so she, I, I knew it was just a, a game, and I said, look, you guys never fight. You're not hooligans, you know. You only fight when you defend yourself or your sisters and so on. But I, I didn't think too much of it. And then um, uh, a month later, so that was the end of it. We had our first um parents evening and and it was um uh yeah the a german teacher and it's a german school they still curtsy they bow very and here we come uh, sort of off germans into this community in the first week we were involved in the fight so we look like hooligans you know so i said to the teacher before we talk about salumi's work whatever happened that day I'll, will never happen again you know my girls are not hooligans and anyway so she was smiling now older lady and i said to her What's so amusing about it? I thought it was quite embarrassing, you know, for me as a parent, because it was still my shame, you know, how do we look as a parent uh, when my kids uh, mess up and so on? And uh, she said, no, she found it very amusing because here they, they come into to the class after break, these four guys, but their shirts are hanging out, their ties are off, their jackets are off, their hair standing up like that. And she said, what happened to you guys? She said, no, we got beaten up, but she's a girl. Anyway, so... Um, yeah, we, uh, she said, but those were the four bullies from grade one. And here in the late grade, end of grade two, this new girl comes in, new kid on the block, and she sorts out the four bullies and she never had trouble with them again. Anyway, we thought it was amusing. But what, why I'm saying that is, uh, at that stage, prior to that, she was, she was the one clinging on to me, holding on to me and so on. Um, I remember when I had to go out to the factory because I would be out uh, my previous factories, running tea factories. I would be out uh, uh, three, four o'clock in the morning, back then, 11 o'clock at night, and the next morning, same. So I would only see them when I pop in lunchtime quickly and 
grab a sandwich and grab a meal or whatever, say to them, I love you, and then off to work again. And when I drive, drive off to work, um, she would start crying, says, wait, that another hug, another kiss, and I would stop the car again and um, give another one. It goes on two, three times, and I get irritated, say, come on, I've got to go now. And, and then she would cry and say, that you must come and visit again. And we laughed about it, but to her, I was a visitor. I, you know, I was too blind, too stupid to see what I was doing to my daughter. Anyway, so she was very, even when I sat there for the half an hour that I was home, uh, she would sit on my lap and take my face like that and look me in the eyes trying to make contact with me because my mind was still at the factory. And I was still, I was still, you know, uh, busy with a million things that could go wrong and chased by almost a demon called work. And, and so on. And anyway, so I was there, but not there. So I was at least a physical father, but I was an absent father and not, not realizing the damage I caused to my little girl. So in my little girl's heart, I was absent. Anyway, so what happened with this fight, and that's why I told you about the fight story. But anyway, so we got settled down, and uh, shortly after that, we got involved in the ministry that we now called Family Foundations International and so on. And God put me through a process, and I and I realized what happened because our, that same daughter, Salome, after the fight started withdrawing. So no more acts, no more kisses, no more holding on to me. She started clinging on to mom and kept a distance with me. So I, but the school made her like a mascot, this little grade, grade two, uh, smallest in the school, but the grade two. So even when the grade sevens had a fight, they would say, we're going to call Salome to sort it out. You know, So she became like the mascot of the school and so on. And I thought, you know, Salumi's now just going through a, a season of she's now the tough one and tough girls don't give his dad or that type of thing. So I was still too blind to see what was happening in her life. Um, and um, anyway, so she, uh, I just gave her distance and stuff like that and thought whatever. And then I started seeing symptoms of molestation. And I thought, sure, Lord, that we as parents were too blind, were we not there to protect her, that somebody get to her. And, and as we went through the ministry, because we, we had moved down to Natal, I was from Sanin, um, moved down to Natal to be closer to the land, uh, that when I've got one week and a month spare, I could go and start working on the farm uh, to develop it and so on. And um, but then God introduced us to this ministry. We got involved and God dealt with our hearts and started the healing process in our marriage and all that stuff that blew us away before and so on. And I realized in my daughter, I saw this, I realized that the symptoms of molestation is similar to the symptoms of a, a child with an absent parent, especially absent father. And she wasn't molested. She just had an absent father. And I with the best intentions, I had no idea. I was working my butt off to provide for them, to make sure they don't go through the same uh, shame and, and neglect and always standing in the back of the road. Never, I mean, I got chosen in a good school for second grade cricket, and I said to the teacher, no, sorry, I, I'm not going to take the, the, the gap. I'm not good enough for that. So I declined myself, you know, because of the self-belief or lack of that in myself and so on. Anyway, but so after the seminar, the first seminar I did, and God revealed my heart and what was happening in my daughter's life and so on, I took her out for a special. We sat outside on the grass in the dark with a cool drink, and I went on my knees, and I cried my heart out before, and I said, Salome, I'm so sorry. I, I 
was working so hard to provide for you guys to make sure that you don't go through the shame and the pain and the whatever and the neglect that I had to go through as a child. Um, I grew up in Bloomington all my life and so on. And, and just the, the shame and it, and it's not the father that's a problem with this one, that one. It's always the enemy, the enemy with you, circumstances in life and so on. But anyway, so as I cried and I said to her, I today realized we thought mom and dad thought you were molested, but we, I today realized I'm the cause of that pain. I'm the cause of that symptoms. I wasn't there for you. Um, but, and, and not trying to defend, but just trying to say, um, Salome, it wasn't because of you. It wasn't that I didn't love you or anything. Dad just wanted to make sure that uh, I I achieve enough in life to to earn a decent salary to provide for you guys, to make sure you've got what you know need. Not luxury, but that you've got the basic stuffs, not to feel worthless in life, not to stand in the back of the line all the time and so on. And as I, and she cried and she forgave me and God started restoring, but as I was praying and uh, to her and crying my heart out to her, uh, that's what I'm trying to get at. God said to me, it wasn't about them. And I said, now, Lord, what was it about? And he, and he said to me, it was about my own self-worth, uh, my own question in my heart, can I make it in life? And that's a question uh, that God needs to answer, but God usually uses the dads. The, the dad is the one that needs to establish the identity and de destiny. Uh, and now that I'm a grandfather of nine, uh, I want to say the roles of grandfathers is critical in that as well, to confirm that. Finding out from God, who's this little light, who's this little girl growing up, and establishing identity and destiny. But the, the sense of self-worth wasn't established in me. And I said to you, Salome, uh, sure, God showed this to me now. It wasn't even about you guys. I wasn't, I thought I was working so hard to make sure that you guys don't have don't go through the pain and the shame and the, the rebuke and the whatever else that I went through and the, whatever it caused in, in life and so on. Uh, it was about me. It was just my own need to find myself, to find out, am I good enough to make it in life? And and so, yeah, that's where God started the process of healing in me uh, to find who I am and uh, being secure in God and finding uh, not just who I am, but why am I here? What's his purpose and destiny for me? And it's out of that thing, and, and I think what I commented to you means is much of those that will be reached, it's black and white and yellow and green and everybody, but a lot of it is the previously um, neglected communities and mostly uh, different colors and so on. And one of the, and it's not the, the white guy that's a bad guy, it's not the present government that's a bad guy, it's the enemy, not, not the whiteies or the government's clever enough to do so much devastation. Uh, and it's not so vicious to do that amount of devastation in people's lives. It's an enemy that would use governments, that would use fathers, that would use races and stuff to communicate uh, 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 devastation in the lives of others and so on. So what I'm saying is through the years, as we walked in ministry, um, many times God would lead us to really where we've seen devastation and stuff done on from my race, from the white background, especially in the lives of, of different colors and so on, I would really sincerely let Father Spirit repent and say, please forgive me for what I was part of. I was too blind to see what we were. And I was never uh, uh, obvious, uh, what you call uh, uh, racist or anything like that, but I was too blind to see that there was 
privileges I have that they don't have and stuff like that. And and uh, the pain it caused and the, and the whatever it caused and so on. And and then there would be true repentance and forgiveness and release from both sides. But what I couldn't understand is why if somebody, say you sit with a different person, you've really asked forgiveness and forgiveness was really released, why is there still the devastation in their lives? Um, uh, because the forgiveness has happened, but there's still something there working. And what I realize, it's about identity. Unless God establishes identity of self-worth, uh, that thing will always uh, multiply. And and sorry, I'll finish with that. Uh, so I'm just, because I see a pattern. Um, and in my case, I thought I'd overcome uh, because my shame caused me never to be able to speak up. I couldn't address a problem uh, in a normal way, I, I had to get, uh, sorry for the good Afrikaans, the Alin, uh, to be angry enough with a guy, especially with authority, because I had pain from authority side. So if the boss messes, messed up or whatever, I had to get really angry to really say to the boss, you're not doing your job here, you know, um, uh, manager or whatever. Or that I had to really get angry to, to speak and to walk away and say, well, I of now and when I did well in the companies I could speak I could say to the person you really messed up here and that's what it's causing the company that I'm responsible for the devastation and stuff by not doing your job and so on um, and I walked away th thinking I've overcome that and then something happened and God pulled a rack from underneath me and he brought me down to earth and I was in pain I resigned from a company because of principles that I stood for and they embraced different and I felt like a dog. And all the, the, the this beautiful castle of self-worth and I'm important and I've got this structure and this company and whatever else, uh, all the, the false uh, identity brought to me, uh, the, my achievements and stuff came, came tumbling down. And that was God's grace. It was painful, but it was God's grace. And then in the pain, I, I looked for a job the first time in my life that I looked for a job and a job didn't come to me. And and the enemy attacked me and said, you're useless or whatever, because he knew where God was taking me to and so on. And, and I said to God, God, I'm in pain at the moment. Uh, whatever you're teaching me, please just don't let me go around this mountain a second time. Uh, I will learn the principles and move on. And please put me back on track and so on. And God said to me something very significant. He said to me, uh, because I had built my identity on what I was achieving in life. And I was achieving a lot and with immense effort and hard work and diligence and stuff. Uh, but God helped me to, to achieve much. And then God said to me, I want you to be somebody because you're my son, not because of what you do and what you achieve in life. And that's really, and that's when the process started of his healing process and, and, and establishing me because I'm his son, because he loves me, but because of who I am in his eyes and not because of what I believe in life. And and just getting back to um, many people look all right and their families look all right because they, they've got a position, they do well in life and they've got all the money and they've got all the stuff and they're important and stuff. The moment that's pulled away, you see a different quality coming through because it was a false platform. And I'm not saying we must not be successful and impactful and stuff. But I built on a on a wrong foundation, and God had to uh, let all that come tumbling down, and then then build correctly and so on. So what I'm sorry, in a, sorry for the long message, but uh, 
What I'm just saying is what is critical in us reaching communities is that we realize that every almost every person is sitting with some some challenge from the enemy side regarding his self-worth, regarding his identity and stuff like that. And unless we address that, we can do a lot of nice stuff, but unless we find a way of, of communicating, uh, helping that person find his self-worth in Christ, finding who he is and what he's standing for. Whether he's got little or much is not the issue. But uh, it's vital that in our reaching out, we empower them and not just uh, hand out in a nice grab and keep him, keeping him alive with a good program and stuff like that. It's vital that we that God opens our eyes to the, the worth of the next person. He was worth Christ's death on the cross, no matter whether he's the hobo in the street or whatever. And may we never forget that. So may we never... Uh, think we're the, we're the nice guy and we've got the ability to help him and help his circumstances. Um, it's beautiful that we help his circumstance. We need to. But we need to help him to find himself in Christ and find his identity. Sorry for the long talk, but I think that was a long answer to a short question of yours. <laughs> Thank you very much, Leon. Uh, it is good to tell the long story so that we can understand where you're coming from and see the picture. You know, so um, don't apologize, please. I think we are going to be sharing uh, in each other's lives in the future. That's how you build trust. That's how you build relationship. That's how you build uh, the, the, the foundation if you want to do great things. You, know, you don't go into battle with guys that you don't trust. And, um, and, and, and uh, thank you for sharing with us. Uh, I think uh, when we had our first me meeting, Lucius, you um, you mentioned that the men are going crazy, and um, uh, uh, Leon, with uh, with respect, it, it, it is what you explained just now. You know, uh, uh, going crazy, you can go crazy by working too hard as well. You can go crazy by taking drugs. You can, you know, we we lose who we should be, um, and then we act up. You know, and uh, until we find the truth. Um, it is a, it's a journey to, to get there. Luckily, uh, not luckily, luckily has got nothing to do with it. Uh, gracefully, we've got a God that loves us and, um, that, 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 that keeps our eye on us. So, so Freak, I just want to quickly, uh, uh, Peter, I see you've got your hand up. Uh, Freak, I just want to say that you, you, you see what happened here. Uh, Leon opened the bully story and, and, and I know that you're busy with the mission on, 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 uh, bullying at school, and if you want to take away a person's dignity, bully him. That is a that is the enemy's number one favorite um, move, and that is get get somebody into bully, especially in school level. Um, you know, bullying is a is a. So when I see a bully getting sorted out, um, there's a smile on my face. I just think that it would be good for the bully to also get some. Um, some some um, uh, uh, grace and um, and find himself because he's bullying, he's acting up uh, because of because of something else that's going on. But uh, Peter, uh, please uh, go ahead. I just want to respond to Leon. Uh, just for for information, uh, my wife and I are also family foundation facilitators and have been for over thirty years. Uh, ever since we met Craig Hill. And uh, this whole concept 
of uh, inner healing is something I want to say, men. So um, this family foundations have have a something that we need to look at for building into the country. Um, I think you will find, as Leon said, that because he was shame-based, he was operating uh, in a particular way. And shame-based either causes you to have a too high opinion of yourself, which is pride, or to have a too low opinion of yourself, which is a false humility. And so the shame base, this is where Nehemiah speaks of each man starting the healing in front of his own house. And so uh, those points that I mentioned to you yesterday from my radio broadcast on Monday are dealing with that, that as individuals, we need to uh, take an honest, adult, sober look at ourselves and uh, uh, that we are not evaluating ourselves too highly or too lowly because as we go deeper into this process, we are unable to give what we haven't got. And so if we are shame-based and operating as such, we will have the wrong ideas. So if I can take a minute, with the two questions that I'm asking, that we need to, when we look at each ourselves in the mirror, am I ready to be used of God in what he wants to do in this nation? Am I ready? Am I part of the problem? or part of the solution. Um, I mentioned that there are there are mighty moves afoot in this nation to unite the bride of Christ, that she might arise and assert her authority over the evil in this nation. As we know, we're not talking politics, but for the dry bones of Ezekiel 37 to come together and stay together for that is where God commands a blessing, where brothers dwell, not just spend a weekend. We stay there. We, we do what it takes to stay in unity. For the dry bones to come together and stay together, they need to be held together by sinews, and those sinews are relationships. And so that is where it has to begin is amongst relationships between Christians. And so these are the questions, uh, some of the mindsets, and uh, I'm just going to put it out there and we can do what we like about them. The mindsets, denkvices, festings, that probably need to be torn down or changed, but definitely looked at. My race group, is better than the other race groups. That's a mindset. My ras group, my language group, is better than the other language groups. My history is the only accurate history in this country. I am independent 
I do not build with anybody else. Ek is onafhankelijk. I build only for me and mine. That's the Eurocentricity. And the last point, I do not submit to anybody else. You know, ek vat my goed en ek trek. And uh, so, ek onderwerp my on niemand anders. So those are just a few little thoughts uh, just to throw in to maybe take this discussion uh, one step further. So, Leon, uh, Family Foundations, way to go, boy. Shame-based. People are shame-based. Uh, there's a big difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is what you've done. But shame is who you are. It's a, it's a value system, like our, our orphan spirit, like our poverty mindset that has got nothing to do with money. It's that. And that is what we have to deal with. Amongst all nations, Leon had to deal with it with himself first. And so these are very real. Thank you, Peter. Yes, absolutely. We have to we have to start at the bottom. You know, there's no use having all these big programs and uh, doing great things and feeding uh, feeding schemes unless we can start the basics of of human dignity and getting that in order. Knowing not who you are but whose you are um, is 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 the beginning of everything. Yes, thank you, Mingo. Uh, Yes, Leon, thanks for your testimony, sharing your heart. I shared a, a, a PDF now on our, on our transformation table WhatsApp group uh, about something that helped me a lot when I got saved. Uh, just after I got saved, and now it was May this year, 22 years ago, coming out of the world of, of, of violence and, and, and having that slave mentality and... Uh, always believe you're the victim and, and, and always uh, see, seeing the bad in life, especially when I was in the police and before I went into the underworld. There was, there was also always that when you work a lot with dead things, you become dead. Um, and that's the thing I tell the, the youth that at, at the schools when I minister to them, is even in the prisons, is that uh, a thing about the darkness is... Um, uh, you can't cast that darkness with darkness. You need light to get darkness out. And 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 light for me uh, comes with truth. It's about the truth, speaking the truth, knowing the truth, and then you will be free. And a thing that helped me a lot, a friend of mine gave me a book of Nancy Anderson, uh, Victory Over Darkness. And in this book, he, he addresses a lot. The thing about uh, uh, who am I? Who am I? It's about what Neil also spoke about the identity, and and that's a thing. Even coming from the government side, this is the honest truth now. What we experience in the Southern Cape is uh, we want you to help our children to discover identity, help them with their identity because they are seeking the identity in the wrong things. That's why gangsterism is such a big thing, especially underneath our colored community where, where uh, I belong somewhere. And it's not amongst only the brown people, it's 
amongst Inu everyone. Uh, there's a lot of white people also involved in gangsterism, school children, um, already involved in, in, in uh, caught up in this. And we know that the gang is about, in the beginning, they will feel, let that person feel you belong here. You are accepted, we take you as you are. Uh, 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 this is a place of safety, we care for you. But after a while, they're going to start asking things for you to do. Now, in this book, uh, I, I put it on our group and I will share it also, Major. You can also maybe put it on the community. It's all about who am I in Christ? Where is your real identity? You must discover it in Christ. And he starts off with, I am accepted. Now, when I was reading this book, it was actually the first. Christian book that I ever uh, read, read in my life, but this book helped me to get into the Word. And I actually uh, photostatted this uh, in the Western Afrikaans, but I made a copy of it and put it in my Bible. And I often went to stood in front of a mirror and said this to myself, because the devil is the whole time lying to us. And the first thing he says is, I am accepted. Now, if he says, I am, a, if you say, I am a child of God, is there scripture that, that uh, confirms what you are saying? John 1 verse 12 says, um, if you accepted him, you have the right to become a child of God. So, I am a child of God. As a disciple, I am a friend of Jesus Christ. Now, next to it is the scripture. I have been justified, declared righteous. I am united with the Lord. I am one with him in spirit. I have been bought with a price and belong to God. This is a powerful, powerful verse. 1 Corinthians 6, 6 uh, verse 19 to 20. Listen again. I have been bought with a price. So meaning I am of value. Uh, this Afrikaans word that they always use in, even in the con in contracts, Peter, Peter, the word footstools. Uh I don't know what's the English for footstools. As is yeah, now the uh, uh, the uh, uh, dictionary says, footstool is you take something as it lies before your your feet, with what you can see is wrong, and with with what you not with, with what you not can see, with the things that you cannot see, you take it also. You you can see this car is not in good shape on the outside, but even if you don't know what's going on in the inside, if you pay for it. You bought it, no bringing back, no guarantee. You take it as it is. So I've been bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I've been chosen by God and adopted as his child. Uh, coming back to that orphan spirit, Peter, I'm not an orphan anymore. And this is important when, when I speak to kids and even the guys in prison, the people in prison. When I walk into a prison, by God's grace, I always tell them, I don't, I don't care why you're here. I don't, I'm not worried about your past. I'm only worried about your future. Because I know somebody that can give you a new future, can make you a new creation. In Christ, all things have passed away. The new, I'm a new creature. So, um, and, 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 and when they pray with me, telling them, listen what you are praying, hear what you are praying, you need to believe this, that you are a, I discovered today who I really am. I am a child of God. You have adopted me by your spirit of adoption. I belong to you and you belong to me. We are one. Um, 
I've been chosen by God and adopted as his child. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I'm complete in Christ. I've direct, I have direct access to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ. Now this is, uh, I am accepted. The next is, I am secure. I'm free with con from condemnation. I'm assured that God works for my good in all circumstances. So I'm not going to go through all of it, it's a lot. And then the last one is, I am significant. Like it's from Varda. I'm a branch of Jesus Christ, the true vine, and a channel of his life. I've been chosen, appointed to bear fruit. Now, the enemy comes with his lies and, and, and tells us that uh, um, his lies is you are a sinner because of your sin. And that's true. But if you give your life to Jesus Christ and you're born again, does God still see you as a sinner? He has adopted you. You're his child. I believe he sees you as his child that makes mistakes. Because the devil is going to remind you the whole time of your past. And, and God is, uh, you, uh, if the Bible says he, he forgave your sins, if you ask for forgiveness, he is faithful to forgive you. He even puts it in the sea where he never thinks of it again. He never goes back to it again. But the devil wants to remind you. So you, your identity comes from what you have done. This is what the devil lies is. Your identity is in your works, what you have done. What you said in the beginning, man, so are we true, are we really of true value to God? Are we so important to God that He will really see what we do? If He says, let your good works glorify the Father. So, uh, faith without works is, is, is nothing. We spoke about that. Your identity comes from what people say about you. This is what the devil does to the young people. What do they say about you? What, what people say about me? Your behavior, listen to this, tells you what you believe about yourself. Now this is a lie of the devil. God's truth is you are a saint, one declared righteous by God from sin, uh, and righteous by God who sins. Your identity comes from what God has done for you. Your identity comes from what God says about you. You believe about yourself determines your behavior, what you believe about yourself. And, and this helped me a lot in that time, coming out of the world of violence. And we always tell them, we had an awesome service this week at, at um, Terrestre High School. And uh, just before I, I gave them an opportunity to pray with me, the lights went off, it was load shedding, but by God's grace we had that power station. So the hall was black, there was no light action, just, and it was raining and the rest in the car It was cold, but there was some light coming through the windows, but even the curtains were closed. And it's not a big hall, and in that dark place, uh, where there was no light, yelling and praying with me, giving their lives to Christ, was so awesome. And then afterwards I asked them, I said, there's a saying in the presence that always say, if you've got cats, they will say, ye dra brook, it's a mama the brook dra. And um, so you've got cats. And I said, okay, I'm going to ask the big bully in the school, who are you? Because always when I start with my, my uh, talk with them, I always say, I want to talk to the big bully, the big guy, the strong one. So it's always a part of the warm in the school, the warm still. 
um, I want to speak to the big bully. And I called him out. I said, you have to have guts today to come out to the front. And he came out. But even the, the kids around him, when I asked it, you, there was a reaction. You know, they knew who he was. But he was also, that. that's my identity. I'm the big bully. I'm the one. And when he listened, I believe, listened to me, and by God's grace, the Spirit of God worked in his heart, he gave his life to the Lord, and he, he came to the front, and I gave him the rugby ball. And I said, always remember when you see this ball. I, don't, I, didn't, I, don't, I, I didn't ask him if he plays rugby, but I told him the rugby ball story about bully, and I said to him, always remember my story, that you can have a, the same story, but even better. Uh, start bullying the bullies. You bully the bullies, and they won't bully. But, um, and he turned to me and he looked at me and, and into my eyes and I could see and he just said to me, in Afrikaans, well, I can't hear me bullying next, And that was amazing. That was, that was worth it. That was of great uh, uh, value. Because coming back to the whole thing, even in prisons, is Every time when I walk into a prison, I want them to know they are of value. Uh, every day when you stand up, every body that will come, comes your way, your, uh, uh, that you have uh, contact with, have this vision, this mission in life, I want to add value to you. You are of value. Isaiah 43 verse 4 it's such an awesome verse for me. You are of great value. You are precious in my eyes, says the Lord. I love you. If God says you are precious in my eyes, you are uh, tattooed in the palms of my hand. He doesn't say, he say, person, it's you, Major. You are uh, 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 tattooed in the palms of my hand. It's a personal God, a, part of, uh, a personal God of relationship. And... Um, this this thing of Newton Anderson helped me a lot in the beginning, and still, even when the devil lost, lost he wanted to tell me it's your time is over, you're a child of God, you're gonna die of this cancer, uh, it's over, God forgot forgot about you. I had to go back to the roots of who am I? Who am I? And you know, but God is my father. I'm his child. He's not gonna leave me with this. He's not gonna forsake me. His will will be done. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I truly believe in, in what the route that we are going to now, what we are following is, if we want to bring change in our community, people's identity needs to change. And we need to take them to Christ where they can discover who they are really. And, and, and that's where we have to start building on, and on the cornerstone, on Jesus, the rock. So, yes, thanks, but. Okay, so there we have it. <clears throat> we have our first community project. We need to make stickers that says, I am loved. I am worthy. I am, whose am I? I am God's. We put that sticker on top of the, uh, each child in the country's mirror that they see that in the morning, and we will have a change. I remember uh, when I did my national service, we joined the Air Force. I was, I was called up to the Air Force, and at Valhalla, Air Force Base, at the entrance there was a big mirror, and on top of the mirror it said, you are now looking at the best soldier in the world. 
And um, I believed it. Yeah, that's how I started my two-year national service. And that's what I believed. And I believe that a simple thing as that could be um, a community changed. As soon as the, the young people and the older people start believing their worth, their value, their dignity, then things change. I don't know if you know the story, Freak, that, um, Anthony, I'm going to give you a chance now. I see your hand is up. Um, about the, the, the story that, uh, and I'm telling it as I remember it. So, um, uh, you know, um, we might have to ask Johnny to help us fix it. But uh, the, the pick it up here in Johannesburg or in, in, the, in the Gauteng area, asked Johnny to come and help with his character for life to come and help because they were having uh, losses. People, the, the, the people that was p- putting the rubbish into the trucks got ridden over and they got into the machines and they got hurt and they got killed. And just by him teaching them, they've got value. They're not only valuable to God, but they're also valuable to their families. They have to be responsible in what they're doing so they don't get hurt or they don't get killed because we will look after their families. It changed the fatality rate dramatically. The injury rate changed dramatically as soon as the men realized that it's important that they look after themselves in their workplace so that they can provide and do what they need to do. And it is as basic and as simple as that. So, yes, I think we are on a good idea here. Uh, Anthony, you wanted to add something? You know, you don't really receive from someone if you don't trust that person. If you've got an orphan heart, it's very difficult to receive from someone unless you've grown to trust that person so that that person can speak into your life. Um, After meeting God and God started healing my heart and I started dealing with forgiveness and and I started taking out the the bitterness and the unforgiveness, the one thing I realized about myself is that as I'm taking out these, these things out of my life, I have this intense longing for value, a tense longing to be affirmed and be be, uh, established by positive words. You know, there's negative words that that broke me down and now you take those negative words out and there's unforgiveness and bitterness and you take all those empty stuff out, uh, that, that, that bitterness out, then you're empty and I believe in my heart that's the place where the Lord wants us as brothers to come in and affirm each other and speak into each other's life positive, powerful words so that we can experience the change, so we can feel love. Because it's easy telling someone that you love, but expressing love in a way that that person can receive it it's a complete different picture. It's a complete different story. Uh, Proverbs 18.23, the Lord says there, He says, The power of life and death lies in the tongue. And I experience in my life, the one thing that I'm longing for now is to be affirmed, is to re- receive positive words, to receive blessings, to, to be valued, to be acknowledged and recognized. And, and there, can be a, there can be a selfish part to that. But if it's a godly thing, 
it's a beautiful thing because it brings healing, because it, it lifts my self-worth, uh, it, it lifts my value, it makes me realize in my heart that I am I'm, I'm wonderfully made and that God cherishes me and that he loves me. And there's nothing like receiving those positive words on a continual basis. You can say once I'm sorry, but and it's 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 one word that 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 brings healing, but the action behind it and the continuous confirmation and affirmation of that word brings healing. And that's where I think we as a as a body of Christ we we lack in that in, in a sense because we don't, we don't affirm each other. We would see someone else go through a difficult thing and the Spirit would guide us to say, pray for that person. And we would, we would feel, oh, yes, how's that person going to think now if we pray for him? Um, and, and then we don't do that. We don't pray for him because we don't feel worthy enough to pray for him because we haven't received enough words of affirmation so that we fill with it to pass it into someone else's life. Um, I, read a, I read a scripture this morning. It was quite nice. Um, 2 Corinthians 3 verse, I think it's uh, 8 or 9. I must go and confirm. But it says there that we must be comforted from the love and the comfort from God, and then only do we have the comfort and love of God to give it to someone else. And I think it's important that we continuously acknowledge and say, hey, you're good, you're doing good, you're valued, you're important. And though that continuous words of hearing it, receiving it, going into your heart, that establishes trust for me to be in a position to say, you know what, this person is carrying my best interest at heart, and if he criticizes me, then I can receive that, and it's healthy. I was told Monday evening that I'm immature from a person that's important to me, and I was angry about what he said, but afterwards I went and I thought about what he said, and then I realized, but you know what, he's right. And because I am trusting him, I can receive that word. But if I did not trust him, I would not have received that word. I would have been offended by what he said, and he would not have seen me again. So that's why it's so important that we continuously reaffirm a broken heart. Uh, as I told the other brother the other day, you cannot, you cannot, um, I send it to me so, you cannot uh, expel an orphan heart. You can't pray an orphan heart out. You can only introduce an orphan to real love, to the Father's love. And the only way that you can do that is by pouring value into that person, into the brokenness, into the emptiness of, 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 of the nurture that he didn't receive. I think we have run out of time. It is a pity that the hour runs past so quickly on a Thursday morning. Um, I uh, I want to ask um, if there's anybody else. Uh, Peter, I see your hand is up. 
Uh, is there anybody else that wants to um, that wants to add something? Not okay, Peter. I just wanted to say quickly. Um, you see, Leon, who I I've just seen once or twice now. He was just a face until he told me his story. Now I know him. Now I can relate. Now and. And that's the thing. If we could get relevant players starting with anybody around not only this table, but a real table, and say, let's like Anthony says, let's let's not judge, let's not prejudge, let's not preconceive. Tell me your story. And uh, so, thanks, guys. People need to be heard. Absolutely, Peter. Um, we need to listen more and talk less. Do more and talk less. Absolutely. The 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 building of trust is such an important thing. You know, um, uh, if I may use the example, if we need to t tackle an engineering project, and um, we have uh, Peter, with all respect, we have Peter saying, "Let me lead this." The possibly the guys are going to say, mm, I'm not sure if we're going to have success with this project. And I'm saying this with great respect, Peter. But if they say, you know, we're going to tackle the engineering project, let's, um, let's get Menzo to lead it. The people are going to buy in. If we tackle a, uh, a men's weekend, um, we say, let's men let Menzo lead it. We can say, mm, that's maybe not such a great idea. But we say, let's, Peter, Pet, let's, let's get Peter to lead it. Different story. Yeah, the guys are gonna, the guys are gonna buy in, and of course, there's many examples like that. I'm just using one example, Peter. But it is because we trust each other's ability to achieve the goal that makes the project work. You know, um, if we let's let's go to a, a simple one. If we go into battle and the, your buddy next to you, you know, he cannot eat a target um, if it's standing right in front of him. He says, don't worry, I will protect you. I'm going to get somebody else to help me as well because I'm not sure if I'm going to be protected. Um, so uh, you know, the, that building of relationship is so, so important and, and then valuing each other. So, yes. Is there anybody else that wants to, to add uh, something? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, when uh, Frega was talking, then just something came in my mind. I will buy seven T-shirts. And on each T-shirt, I will print something. So maybe in one T-shirt, I am loved. The next day, I will wear the T-shirt, I am a child of God. So when I am walking through the mall, somebody has to read it. Yeah, to awaken an impression. So something has to happen in someone's mind. Yeah, it's a very interesting topic this morning again. Thank you. It's so true, uh, Samuel. Um, if you think and see some of the clothes, uh, even children's clothes, uh, uh, sorry for mentioning names, but uh, lost sheep, uh, bad boy, uh, you, you can go on. Uh, and and, and they, they see their identity in that, even in the clothes. So we need to change that, you know, our people, if their mindset can change, their lifestyle will change. I remember... One day, many years ago, you know, my family is young, and uh, I want to get a, we're going on holiday, 
and we're at macro and I want to get a little video camera so I can, you know, build some memories on video. And uh, on the speaker comes up a very uh, well-spoken, very motivated salesperson and say, we've got these uh, Panasonic or whatever video cameras. They are special. We've only got 10. They are uh, half price. And if you rush to me quickly, I'll give you one of them. And as I walk to this guy, he's standing on his podium and he points at me and says, sir, gratify yourself. Buy one of these. And I just turned around because as soon as I've got to gratify myself by buying something, I'm in trouble. So uh, I walked away and I said, it's okay. I don't need this camera. I'll buy another one because this one is now you've just ruined it for me. But, um, you know, what do we say about what we wear? You know, our, uh, our t-shirt, bad boy. You know, um, I remember at, um, at Mighty Men, where I was saved in 2008, there just down the road from you, Leon. What, what, what triggered, what clicked for me was there was a big guy sitting in front of me, you know, big shoulders. And he had on his back of his leather jacket a biker looking guy, you know, that, that, that quintessential biker looking dude with his leathers. And on the back of his leather jacket was embroidered, Ask me, ask me about Jesus. I dare you. And I thought, okay, okay, let's do that. You know, let's ask. So, um, yeah, beautiful. Thank you very much for a beautiful morning. Um, it, we are talking about the same thing actually all the time about uh, a, a leader. You, you are the only lady on the group at this stage, but it's the men that is the problem. You know, we need to, we need to get the guys in line. And um, and it's how we opened the first meeting uh, together, Lucius, where you said the men are going crazy, you know, and that's why we have men's camps. We have ladies' camps as well, but they're different animals, um, uh, you know, because the guys are the guys are needing, you know, pull themselves towards themselves, actually pull themselves toward God. That's the mm -hmm. right way to go. Uh, Lucius, go for it. Menzo, thank you. Good morning, guys, and to all the guys that logged in. Uh, yesterday, I, I did some research to look at uh, how old David was when he slain Goliath. And I think David was about 14 or 15 years old when he was anointed to become the king. But then the transition took about 15 or 16 years for him to actually take the seat or the throne to become the king. And then this morning, a friend of mine sent this morning devotion, and it said that David was 17 years old when he slayed Goliath. Now, you guys were in the army, and, and I know the normal age of finishing matric was 18 years. I was 18 when I finished matric. And then you guys were called up to do service for two-year service, which was compulsory back then. That the average age of any soldier was 19 years old. And, and, and the reason why I'm saying this, I, I had a conversation with a friend yesterday in, in the morning from Islam, and he's a born-again believer. And, he, and, 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 and it just dawned on me that God is no more looking for old men to go fight battles. He's going to raise up an army in this country and in this world, and it's going to be young, young. I mean, on this Mukhaba claim, and we, we are tired of fighting now. We, like Leon was saying, we, we just want to go into a passive place and... and and just recuperate and look at being like I'm a grandfather now, and this changes me. 
and 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 this is a message I'm going to share with this young man that I spoke to him in the morning. That uh, and then I'm actually very happy for him that he is a believer and he's a pastor in a church because just like Leon, he and, and I was a witness to this. He grew up with a father and a mother that was divorced. And and my wife and I, we were dating uh, about 20 years ago. So we were still dating and we used to go down to Islam and to Yellow Sands and, and, and uh, Glen Eden and all those uh, uh, holiday resorts with these friends of ours, a white couple. And I, and I could see how, how the boys were treated compared to the, the wife or the girlfriend's children. And, and we actually cried when we saw this, né? because I grew up in a home where my dad was there all the time. Leon, he, 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 my mom was there all the time, and and my dad disciplined us properly. So, knowing that the things that we've gone through as children, and how God is establishing us now, it it, it is it leaves a void in between. But Leon, you you said that, that there was a good process and transition of healing, so much that sometimes you wanted to give up, but then God reminded you. That you just need to hang into the seam of his his cloak. So so God is busy, and and I'm glad Arno Arno looks like a guy that you don't want to mess with. <laughs> so we we are gonna be the army that that God will establish us, and then we will be the ones that will propel the next generation into where God wants us to move. I think uh, that makes a bit of sense, amen. So thank you for this opportunity, guys. Lois, yes, I, I I agree with you. I think there's so many sharp, cool, focused young young men and women in our country that we are, you know, I, I was at a, a, a father-daughter camp uh, last year. And by nature, I get up, I like getting up early. I got there really early. I cleaned up around us. I made a fire and I was getting, getting the uh, kettle to start boiling. And I had a young girl, well, young, she was... Um, 20, that's young, eh? 20, 20, 21, 22, they came to sit by me and the story she told me blew me away. You know, she was a, she's a teacher. She's got a speciality field that she teaches in. She teaches uh, children with Down syndrome and the passion and the way that she explained to me what she does and how she loves doing it bowled me over. You know, and we are sitting with these type of youngsters in our midst. And I believe that we have a powerful, uh, if I may say, army that is rising. And I, and I agree with you. There is, there, we're going to see some awesome things. I cannot wait. I cannot, I'm so excited about what's going to happen in the next couple of months. Um, that uh, Peter, you asked a question last week. What, what are we getting into? Um, I don't know. But I'm excited to be in it. You know, um, the, the the battle is on, and um, I know who's the leader, and I know he's a powerful, mighty God, and we have, don't have to worry about nothing. It's gonna hurt. I'm very sure it's gonna hurt, but uh, we will win. We will be the victors. So uh, I think let's close off with that. Um, thank you very much, everybody. Dank dat jy saam met ons gesels het oor Godse bezigheid rondom die transformatietafel.
Die transformatietafel wordt met trots geborg door Maxflex Cables.